Welcome back to Random Trek, the podcast in which I, your host, Scott McNulty, discuss a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest. I am, you know it, continuing to invite past guests back because I'm I'm relaunching the podcast, or I guess at this point, I think I've been posting it for like two months straight, uh, so it's, it's relaunched, it's done, I'm just doing it again, uh, and I am jo- I'm doing it again with uh, Moises Julian. Moises, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I, I feel like uh, I feel like now I'm I'm, I'm shifting into a new groove. I, I started off with a, a distinctly Klingon episode, and and now I, I'm I'm somewhere in Romulan space. Oh yes, written uh, this episode written by Ronald D. Moore, who uh, knows a thing or two about Klingons, uh, but he also apparently knows a thing or two about Romulans. Uh, but before we talk about Romulans and uh, inexplicable Shakespeare scenes, uh, let's talk a little bit about you, Moises. Tell the people a little bit about yourself. I uh, I'm a I'm a man of various hats uh, uh, who does various things. Um, speaking of <laughs> relaunching podcasts, um, there's a, there's a thing that's coming up on the mothership and on this show. Um, where we're going to be covering a very particular Star Trek movie. And I think, uh, by the time we do that, actually, I think time to do that, even if I have not relaunched, um, my personal signature podcast, Electric Shadow, uh, even if I've not properly relaunched it by then, um, then I'm, I'm setting the, um, the preemptive deadline for myself of, um, I will relaunch it then. Uh, oh. If not before, with uh, with an episode um, talking to Nicholas Meyer, which has required some heavy editing because it was in the press office of a film festival, and uh, that press office was in like um, a, 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 um, a like a shop front. So every time somebody came in and out, th- there's like this bell ding over and mm-hmm. over and over again that mm-hmm. ordinarily I wouldn't take out, but it's so frequent that um, yeah, it's it's something that requires a different kind of precision editing than I used to. But um, Electric Shadow for a good long while was uh, a show where I would take interviews that I did with guests at comic conventions and edit them together and, and make them podcasty and so on. Um, and that show is coming back and, and I've got a few years worth of comic convention interviews that I've not done anything with as it were. Some of them you mm-hmm. may actually find on YouTube. Uh, in fact, I've, I've had various clips of, of one that I did with the cast of the boys sent to me over the last few months. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the old ship out of mothballs. Um, so I, I am glad to be, uh, back on random Trek a, um, <laughs> as, uh, as I'm, I'm ready to, uh, to, to refit my own ship. Well, uh, I tell you, the the water's fine. Launch your podcast again. <laughs> it's great. People will say hooray. Uh, actually, I don't think anyone has said hooray that Random Track is back, but that's I, fine. I, I say hooray. I said hooray. I was thrilled. I was I was shouting from the rooftops. Oh, Call you. me biased. Well, that uh, it's still appreciated. And that was not, uh, listeners, that was not uh, uh, an unabashed plea for you to shower me with accolades. Um, but if you feel like it. I'm on the internet. Feel free. Uh, anyway, before <laughs> <laughs> enough of that nonsense. But you did bring up Star Trek movies, and we've I've had you on the show a couple of times. Um, so let me ask you. And once again, people, I do not prepare people for these questions. Uh, what is your favorite Star Trek movie? Well, it just so happens that uh, that it's Star Trek Six: oh. uh, The Undiscovered Country. Um, I love Wrath of Khan. I love mm. the Voyage Home. Um, but I, I've, I've pretty, I've pretty regularly settled on undiscovered country. Um, part of it for me is loving that Sulu gets his own ship. 
um, and gets to do special stuff. I'll say that uh, for those who haven't seen the movie. I don't want to spoil it. If you're listening um, to this podcast and you have not seen Star Trek Six, I, I question shame on you. Shame why, on you. why you are uh, listening to this instead of watching Star Trek Six. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's it's got incredible acting. You got David Warner returning after, you know, one of the more inscrutable Star Trek movies um, playing with Gusto, another wonderful part. He is not the problem with Star Trek V. In fact, he's one of the fun things about Star Trek V, uh, the way that he chews scenery and, and makes the most out of the part that he's got. Christopher Plummer, the recently departed Christopher Plummer. Wow. I mean, what what more can I say about Christopher Plummer than people have been saying in tributes all over the Internet? Uh, Iman um, is in there and, and does great work. And I feel like of the TOS movies, uh, it gets the balance uh, closer to equal across all of them in giving them all something to do, because, I mean, it was intended to and was the last TOS movie. Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm glad that, that it, it gave everybody one good solid hurrah, um, to do some fun stuff. And of course that balance is, is weighted heavily in favor of Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a particular sequence involving a torpedo that is one of my favorite scenes in any of the Star Trek movies, maybe in any of Star Trek. And, and for me, it is, it is some of the most Star Trek-y of Star Trek bits, but we're going to be talking about this movie relatively soon. So I don't want to, I don't want to give it all away. Yes. And um, or, or we may have already, <laughs> or we may have already. Depending. Who knows? I don't know who when knows? this episode is coming out. You think I would, but I don't. Uh, yeah. Who knows? And I, I, since we are either going to, or already have talked about Star Trek six, uh, I was thinking about kind of my rankings of Star Trek movies, mm. uh, because certainly Star Trek six is one of my favorite Star Trek movies. Um, I will say Star Trek two is in fact, my favorite Star Trek movie. Uh, totally reasonable, totally reasonable. And I, I, I can't begrudge anybody that feeling, but then it gets, so that's far and away my number one. And then the number two slot becomes tricky because I love Star Trek four. I love Star Trek six and I love first contact. And so then it becomes, well, which one? And they're all very different movies. Uh, and you, you think, well, how do you do it? And I still have not gotten a good answer to that. So there's no real ending to this anecdote other than I have uh, at the moment, three movies tied for second, (laughs) which I think is cheating. (laughs) Well, here's, here's the cheating that I do, Scott. Uh, I refuse myself a numerical ranking. I just bundle Uh, them as these are my favorites. And then there are a couple that I think are, are underappreciated or unjustly maligned as, as terrible and and not worth watching and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I argue that Insurrection is a totally serviceable long episode. Mm-hmm. It's not a great movie, but it's a good long episode of Next Generation, um, you know, that that works. It, it's no worse than some of TNG season two, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And I was thinking I was pondering there was a, a, a an incomparable Slack conversation about Star Trek movies. Uh, and I did not say this in the Slack because it would have uh, uh, erupted into uh, chaos. But I do think now I'm going to say this. I don't think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a particularly good Star Trek movie, but I do think Star Trek V is underrated. Now, it, it I do oh, too. I do too. I do is, too. It is. There are a lot of fun things in Star Trek V. It is a bad movie. It is a bad Star Trek movie, uh, but it does have some fun stuff. It it has it has some stuff that is way more uh, TOS 
traditional trek than i think people give it credit for the fan dance in the desert that is very much a 1966 idea <laughs> yes. uh, you know oh man a, a pool table full of water come on yeah come like, on i don't know uh, the five five is never going to be considered one of the greatest or one of the best or even a good star trek movie but it is enjoyable and entertaining from a certain point of view uh, to quote Star Wars. Yes. And you should, Star Trek V should never be anyone's first Star Trek movie. Oh, God, so. no. But it was my first one in the movie theater. Oh. And that is why I had nowhere to go but up, thanks to VHS. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm trying to think of what my first Star Trek movie in the movie theater was. I don't know. But anyway, well, enough enough movie chat. We'll be, we'll either, here's a sneak preview or a link back to the episode we've already done where we talk about Star Trek six. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Star Trek six. We're not even here to talk about the original series characters. No, no, we're here to talk about my favorite Star Trek series, the next generation. In fact, uh, an episode that I like a lot because it involves Romulans, uh, season three, episode 10, the defector. Uh, I do. I'm going to say something controversial here as well. Moises. I like mm. this episode. I like it better when Deep Space Nine does it uh, in duet. <laughs> but Are you saying that, that, that when, when confronted with with this uh, with this episode, you uh, you yell, "It's a fake!" <laughs> exactly. That's what I do. <laughs> uh, this, but this episode is good. Um, what do you think? Before we jump, I'm, I'm uh, stalling for time, I guess, but uh, I don't know why. Uh, Romulans. I dig Romulans. Um, members of the incomparable, uh, will have probably already, uh, enjoyed our, our three part members only, uh, adventure crossing over TPK with mm -hmm. random track, uh, where, where there are Romulans in a vineyard. Um, yes. and, uh, and, and that was particularly fun to play. Before um, Picard, because, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, for, for, for all of our, um, uh, you know, precognition, uh, you know, we didn't tip our hand that we knew where Picard was going. Um, I dig Romulans. I think Romulans are a wonderful, uh, wonderful villain. Um, I think the, you know, the symbolism of, of a divided state, um, within the galaxy is, is a great way to, to contrast them with the Vulcans. Um, I dig their incredibly shoulder pad uh, centric <laughs> costuming in mm -hmm. the TNG and DS nine era and beyond um, there, the, you know, the, the recurring um, uh, commander Tomalock that, that features in this episode and that we, we see elsewhere is one of the things that DS nine gets all the credit for all the serialization, but there were serialized elements to TNG that I think are undersung. Um, and, uh, and regularizing conflict with the Romulans is something that, um, that I think is one of those sub threads throughout TNG that works really well because unlike the Borg, they are not the galaxy ending threat, but they are a threat. And there are things that, that, um, that make them a threat even when they get confounded and, uh, and otherwise foiled by the Federation, um, without them turning into a full on Ferengi level joke. I agree 100%. Uh, and, and they are one of my favorite villains, although I think underutilized, uh, 
mm-hmm. by many Star Trek franchises. Um, although that's why another reason I like Picard so much is because there are so many Romulans in it. Um, <laughs> in fact, as I'm talking right now, I have a, a Dederdix class uh, starship on my desk, a little tiny one. So that's how much I like Romulans. Uh, but this episode doesn't start with Romulans. It starts with Shakespeare. Another thing I like. It goes <laughs> once more into the breach, dear friends. And I don't really understand why this is in this episode other than, I suppose, to make us think about leadership and how one sacrifices themselves for others, which I guess is really the reason it's in this episode. Um, and also, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess. I don't know if this is true or not, Moises, but this is my, my headcanon, that Patrick Stewart had something to do with this being in this. I feel like I feel like it may have begun with Ron Moore going, I want to write to my actor. I want to, uh, you know, my go go with something that my uh, my lead actor is going to respond well to. And um, as as the undercurrent, as the symbolic uh, sub thread of the episode, go with something that he's going to feel very comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And it's an episode during the Wesley era of TNG where Wesley was a presence on the show. And in this episode, data plays Wesley. Um, <laughs> data is the child on the ship. Um, and, and it, you know, having, having, uh, having Picard teach uh, Pinocchio, um, the value of Shakespeare in understanding humanity, you know, it's a data episode. It's a Romulan episode. It is a literary illusion episode like the Sherlock Holmes episodes, like the Les Miserables episode of Deep Space Nine. Um, and I, I kind of dig it. And I, I should mention um, on Mothership episode 534, the first installment of Shakespeare Club, we talked about Henry V. Um, so we could talk about Henry V for an hour, but um, I think we already did that. We um, did. And I'm on that podcast. Oh, go ahead. I'm yeah, you that. are. You Very are. You, you are a professor. Um, <laughs> and we are about as respectful as a bunch of undergrads uh, would be. Um, for me, what I dig about specifically using Henry V is that it is it is subtext that is made text in the script of the episode where um, Picard sends data, you know, with the context of this scene that they worked out before the Battle of Agincourt, where um Prince Hal, now King Henry V, um, goes among his men disguised as a commoner to try to get a feel for what the crew is actually thinking because this is one of those missions where the captain of the ship is having to make some very big, very bold um, – the, 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 the livelihood of the ship endangering decisions and – you know, he's the captain of the ship and like Henry V, his men are not going to look at him as the captain and tell him what they actually think about this situation that they found themselves in. Um, another little note on the on the the Henry V night before Agincourt um, uh, cold open that we have in this episode. Um, John Bates is played by none other than Simon Templeman, who people may know from the uh, Uncharted series of games. He was on uh, ABC's The Neighbors sitcom, where they were an alien family disguised as humans um, who all used the names of, of uh, famous um, uh, uh, U.S. Uh, athletes. Um, and uh, it was it was one of the weirdest concepts of sitcoms ever, but it was it was it was a rare um 
uh, prominent on-screen face role for uh, for Simon Templeman, who I, I find a, a delightful presence wherever he's seen. And he's he's just in here literally doing Shakespeare lines, and then we don't see him for the rest of the episode. Um, but he's yeah, he's one of those guest actors that people go, why does this guy seem familiar? Yeah, it's because you've heard him do a billion commercials over the last 30 years. It's that guy. And then this scene is strange also because Catherine McCart is watching uh, Data act as Prince Hal in, in this scene. That's not odd. They're on the holodeck. Uh, but, you know, that actor plays. There are three people in the scene, uh, one of which is, is the actor you just described. One is Data and the other is played by Patrick Stewart. So it's, it's <laughs> in, in a lot of uh, makeup um, because he's Patrick Stewart. Obviously, they, he wanted to be in the scene. One imagines yeah. saying uh, lines that I'm sure he did not need to uh, brush up on. But yeah, it, 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 it's, it starts where we see him as the character in the scene. And then suddenly we see Captain Picard in uniform yes, and, and it makes you go, wait, wait, what? Um, and on top of that, like the scene originally, it's three men plus Hal. And in this one, they've combined two of the guys into the one that Picard is playing. Um, and it's kind of like, well, how few day player actors can we, uh, can we get away with paying? How can we can just make this? Yeah, can we just have Picard like do two of them in makeup? <laughs> um, Patrick, you want to do some Shakespeare? Of course, my pleasure. I wonder because the makeup it still looks like kept uh, Patrick yeah. Stewart, so it's not as though uh, I mean they put a lot of makeup on him, but it's it's clearly Patrick Stewart. So uh, very strange. But anyway, there we go, Shakespeare, and then they dip into it a couple times throughout the episode. Uh, and I guess what is happening here. Because I was very confused as to what was happening because Captain Picard is watching and you think, well, why is only Captain Picard there? And is this how they do theater in uh, Star Trek? Because it seems like it would be uncomfortable. Is everyone just going to like stand around in the holodeck and watch? Um, but it turns out that uh, Data is just practicing. And uh, he, uh, I think as they're walking out the holodeck, uh, Data asks if uh, he can put the play on for, for the crew. And Picard basically says, hmm. You have a little more work to do. <laughs> Just, I mean, save it, that kind of thing. <laughs> the, the other thing that, that's part of this that's uh, that's a favorite uh, Trek staple is is the Trek list of a thing that exists, a thing oh. that exists, <laughs> and then a thing from the future where Data says that he, he's, he plans to study the performances of Brana, Olivier, Shapiro, and Colnark. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, we're not, we're, we're not familiar yet with the performances of Shapiro and Colnark as Henry V. Mm. Um, but I, I look forward to them eventually. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be great. Uh, but, uh, Riker interrupts to say, Hey, there's, uh, some stuff happening in the neutral zone. Uh, maybe you should, uh, come up here. And, uh, turns out, <gasps> dun, 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 a little Romulan scout ship is being chased by uh, a big Romulan warbird and uh, seeking asylum. And then very dramatic, cue the opening credits. And then uh, we're back to uh, warbirds firing on the scout ship and uh, Captain Picard basically saying, hey, cut it out. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to... Hey, hey, quit it with those disruptors, okay? <laughs> exactly. He's, he's seeking asylum and, and wraps uh, the Enterprise's shields around the scout ship and... Unchar uh, uncharacteristically, I feel like the Romulan warbirds who, uh, you know, have the Enterprise outclassed and could probably make an argument to just blowing up this tiny scout ship, even though they are, you know, faintly protected by the Enterprise's overextended shields, uh, pause and then withdraw. 
it's uh, it's one of those things that is set up to make us question the reliability of our narrator here mm-hmm. from the beginning. Um, and and I dig that as as things continue in the action, we don't know exactly how much we trust this guy, but it's uh, it it is also a case of of another really solid guest performance um, by somebody that is is clearly somebody who is just every bit as good as everybody that's in the regular cast of the show that just drops in to play this guy that we will probably, and we know now that we never see again. Um, and, uh, same actor, I should mention, uh, James Sloyan, uh, plays Dr. Mora in deep space nine, the Bajoran doctor who studied Odo before he was, Odo. I did not make that connection. There you go. That's good. Thank memory alpha. (laughs) Thank you, Memory Alpha. Uh, so yes, he is uh, playing supposedly Sub Lieutenant Satal, uh, but we find out not pretty. I mean, they take a long time to find this out. Uh, he is, in fact, uh, an Admiral Admiral Drock. Um, and and to Moises's point, they this episode is all about can we trust this Romulan who alleges that he is. Uh, seeking asylum and that he has some information about a secret base that the Romulans are building or have built actually um, and have an armada that is poised to pierce the neutral zone and attack the Federation um, in the sneaky way that Romulans do because Romulans are sneaky. Oh, those Romulans. (laughs) (laughs) They are, they are very, and he, I will say, so uh, Jarak is an interesting character, but you feel like, he should have known better because he shows up. Basically he blows up his little scout ship so they can't look at it. Fine. He's a Patriot. He doesn't think of himself as a traitor. He doesn't want to give up more information than needed, but he wants to avoid this catastrophic war that he thinks is going to happen. Uh, but then he gives them like the Picard and crew give him so many chances to just give him, give them a little bit of information to prove that what he's saying is true. And he just refuses and he just keeps acting more and more suspiciously. <laughs> And the 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 crack that Data finds in his armor, I think, is um, is is zeroing in on you know if he if he is authentically uh, who he says he is, at least in spirit, um, then there has to be something about the sacrifice that he's making. And uh, I I wrote this down uh, specifically because uh, to me the true testament of a Star Trek guest actor is how convincingly they play off the gobbledygook that the writers come up with that is a thing on Romulus that never existed before it came out of this person's mouth. Mm-hmm. And the way he talks about and paints the picture of the firefalls of Gal Gathong, um, mm. it just it, it sounds just as normal as somebody reminiscing about how they're going to miss Yellowstone or Old Faithful or, you know, some some landmark that is actual and real and human and, you know, American in my case. Um and I, I just this is one of the things that people people like to kind of pick nits about 90s Trek um, where they're like, oh, it was so, you know, it was more soap opera ish and, and that kind of thing. And uh, I'm somebody who who loves Discovery, loves all of the new Trek stuff. I love the Kelvin timeline stuff. I love all of it. I love all Trek stuff. Um, and and one of the things that I think has gotten lost in the interest of people trying to play, well, you have to have a favorite thing and you have to like it at the expense of something else, um, is that there really is some phenomenally nuanced, wonderful, lovely acting that is happening on these cardboard sets. 
um, or, you know, the blue screen on stage 23. Um, and, uh, and yeah, this, like this is, this is, this, this is, this is a wonderful Trek performance that I think, um, gets lost in the haze of people's memories until they rewatch stuff. And I had forgotten about this episode, but it came back, you know, with a bullet. Um, you know, when, when I queued it up and he beamed over and I went, Oh, okay. No, no, no. I remember this one. I remember this guy. Yeah. He has a but lot of I, great moments. Yeah. But like, I, I feel like as much as I kind of appreciated it in my memory, I had kind of forgotten, um, just how good he is. Um, and, and just how good the episode was. I remembered it as being good and enjoyable. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like, man, I haven't been to this burger joint in a while. Oh man, I forgot that it's amazing. It is amazingly good. And, and TNG gets so good in season three. It is true. It is, it is firing on all cylinders in season three. And he is a great guest star and a great character because he's one of these characters who is not all that he seems. Well, he's more than he seems really because he's, he wants to be come across as this, um, minor logistics officer uh, when it turns out he's an admiral in charge of a whole sector of the the Romulan star empire um, but he doesn't want to give up more than he absolutely needs to in order to avoid this war and he wants to avoid this war because he has recently ish had a daughter and he's tried to work through the you know the normal channels to to dissuade this warmongering and he was rewarded uh, a, a rather poor apparently um assignment in, in for his troubles and so now he's seen all this these communiques and he he has exhausted all of his options and so he 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 basically exiles himself to save his the life of his child and then of course it is a true tragedy because it turns out by the end that we find out that it was all a ruse in order for uh, perpetrated by the Romulans in order for him to expose himself as a traitor. And so he has risked everything, lost everything for nothing. Yeah. I, the, the, um, the, the withholding of additional information is something that again, having not watched the episode in a while, um, had me going, wait a minute, why isn't he being more forthcoming? Oh, <laughs> it's because he wants to stop the war, but he doesn't want to, it's not because he's still something of a patriot. It's that he's worried about who he's leaving behind and that he's going to expose them to, you know, a Federation bombing raid, um, or, or, you know, something to that effect. Like he wants to prevent the bad thing, but he doesn't want to invite, uh, creating more weaknesses and loopholes, uh, for the Federation to get through. Um, because I mean, you know, uh, inculcation is a hell of a drug. Uh, and, and when you have spent your entire career as a fierce patriot for your side, thinking a certain thing about the other side, it, it, um, it takes, it takes, uh, it takes a positronic brain to get you out of that Stockholm syndrome. Yes, and it may, he makes it clear that he's not a huge fan of the Federation, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want this war, so he's he's willing to to negotiate. And it's interesting that um, you know he's he's supposedly this kind of low ranking military officer, but he um, acts in such a way that you know it's clear that he is used to people just believing what he says and doing what he tells them to uh and so he gets very frustrated when everyone's like well really i mean you blew up your ship <laughs> that was kind of weird you're not going to tell us any other details how do we know you're not a spy uh and he's like oh you're idiots and and don't let that cling on near me because i don't like klingons either 
Yeah, I mean, Trek has never shied away from laying it on thick. Um, Subtlety is not always (laughs) the phaser that they reach for. Uh, But it's kind of like, you know, the the king masquerading as a commoner. Gee, I wonder if this guy is of higher station masquerading (laughs) as a commoner. Hmm. Probably not. I'm sure it's fine. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, I did like – this is a very small detail, but he – he goes to his quarters and, and orders up some water from the replicator, but he uses uh, Romulan uh, terminology for temperature, and the computer doesn't know what it is. And so he has to uh, be like, whatever's cold in your terminology. <laughs> I just like that. And the, yeah, the demand of, of you know metric Celsius um, measurement is, is a slap in the face to us Americans still in the imperial <laughs> system. It's true. And that scene also is a little bit uh, foreboding because it shows us that he is carrying – uh, a Necco wafer in his boot, which uh, turns out is not actually a Necco wafer, but it is a, a disc full of poison that will come in you handy later in the episode. Yeah, he pulls it out of his boot and it's like inspected by number 348. And uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so and the camera just hovers uh, and, and, and lingers there for a while, uh, you know, uh, knowingly. So you think, hmm, this is going to. Hmm. Do, do Romulans make tracking devices out of pieces of felt? Uh, what is this? <laughs> what is this exactly? Uh, and we find out. I mean, I guess it, it, the big reveal is that uh, he, he kills himself at the end. But the, very sad. Uh, also, I have a lot of questions about Starfleet logistics as well and how they uh, place their fleet. Because uh, the Romulan neutral zone is a, a big deal. Right. And so one assumes mm-hmm. they have lots of bases and you would imagine starships are assigned to hang out around there. Um, and when the Enterprise finds out, oh, there there may be a giant Romulan uh, war happening soon. Uh, they, they phone up Starfleet Command. And after a couple, there's a delay, there's, there's a, a delay, there's a delay. And I wrote because they got to they got to sell how far they are. They're so far away. Mm-hmm. My note here is that the uh, comms in Star Trek work at the speed of plot. Uh, and so because <laughs> sometimes it's it's instantaneous and other times it takes two hours for some reason. And this is a time where it takes two hours uh, for the admiral to come back and say, <laughs> all right, uh, Jean-Luc, you are the only ship anywhere near where you are for no particular reason. We're sending a couple to help you. But, oh, and that's the other thing. There's a ticking clock, right? He says it's happening in like 24 hours or something like that. Um, and, and he says, you know, the, by the time they get there, it'll all be over. So uh, good luck and do whatever you think is best. Um, which is, I, I feel like, Moises, there should be more starships just kind of hanging out near the rock. Yeah. Neutral zone. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. You know, when, when Starfleet Command says, we're sending the USS Hood, the, the ever-present USS Hood. Man, the, the USS Hood, I, I, I love it. Every time I, I watch one of these TNG episodes and they mention the hood, I'm like, ah, the hood. That's right. The good old hood. Always good to trot out the USS hood. Um, the the USS hood, like always, always supplementary to the flagship, never running its own stuff, always, always running support. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the hood and some other ship. I, for, I forget what the uh, other the, ship was. The monitor. The monitor. There we go. An appropriate name for something that they should be doing mm-hmm. along their borders. Nope. It's fine. <laughs> nope. Why would Romulans sneak over? Uh, they signed a treaty. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so, yes, the big the big intelligence is that on uh, Nelvana 3, uh, there's supposedly a giant base and a bunch of uh, warbirds. And, uh, you know, they're going to come and kill everybody. 
Now, the, the mention of Nirvana, Nirvana 3, watching this, um, you know, I don't often think of this. Um, well, maybe maybe I inordinately often think about this now, um, but I always think about so so the Federation decides to use them and Earth centric names for for naming systems. So to them, it's the Nelvana system. But what is it to the Romulans? <laughs> you know, it's true. like what is what is the the galactic standard of like do they go numerical um do they do they make everything earth centric just out of spite uh where they're like yeah yeah romulans call it whatever your funny language calls it we're going to call it nelvana 3 we're going to honor the native peoples of canada um and uh and and sucks to be you um so we're we're we've decided to give it a colonizer name <laughs> Well, you know, when you're you're making your star charts, I suppose you call them whatever you want. Uh, it is a good question, though, because I also think, and I could be wrong, so people feel free to write in, uh, that the in Starfleet, all the navigation, the center of Starfleet is Earth, uh, which, you know, come on, it shouldn't. For, for galactic navigation, you're right. Because they say a couple of times they're going to, like, coordinates zero, zero, uh, and that's Earth. And you think, well... That probably shouldn't be Earth. Uh, and certainly isn't Earth for uh, Romulans, right? I imagine they yeah. use a whole different coordinate system. Yeah, it's – I mean it's uh, – it feels very much like the United States in Fahrenheit and the rest of the world in Celsius where it's like, oh, it's 70 degrees out and the rest of the world goes, oh, okay, you guys at the Fahrenheit again? Really? Join I, the rest of the world, guys. I like to think the universal translator is just translating whatever Romulan designation he used into the Federation designation. But who knows? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, and so, yeah, he's blown up a ship. He's insulted Worf. Uh, he does all the normal things. Captain Picard. I mean, is, is, is it an episode of TNG <laughs> if, if, the, if the alien aggressors haven't insulted the Klingon? It's it's true. Uh, Picard says, hey, let's probe Nolvana 3 uh, because if we go in to the neutral zone, it's an act of war. So I'd rather, you know, be sure. Uh, turns out the probe doesn't find anything. Uh, oh, that's not true. The probe does find some unusual readings, um, and which Picard is still kind of on the fence about. Uh, but then Picard also says, hey, Data, why don't, why don't you go talk to this guy uh, and see what his story is uh, and show him around. Uh, which is kind of weird because why would you show a Romulan around? But I guess he's seeking asylum, so maybe he's okay. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> show him around. See if he looks shifty at any point. <laughs> and there's a good scene where they're in 10 forward and he, uh, the Romulan basically says, ah, you're the, the android. I know a, a lot of Romulan cyberneticists who would love to take you apart. <laughs> Ed. Nothing like introducing yourself by talking about how a bunch of your former colleagues and friends would like to defenestrate somebody or vivisect them. Yes. Uh, and Data is like, I don't know if I should – how to take that. Uh, I don't, or he says something like, I don't think I find that appealing. And uh, he says, uh, nor should you. Uh, and this is the big moment where he basically says, oh, I'm so sad. Um, you know, I'll never visit my home world. I won't see my – the fire The fire falls. They're, they're very sad. Uh, and, uh, you know, Romulus is beautiful. I've been to a hundred worlds and Romulus is the most beautiful. And Data's like, well, I can take you to Romulus. Let's go to the holodeck. Uh, and I'm unsure. Well, once again, this episode shows us how easy it is to program a holodeck program because Data pushes like two buttons and suddenly there's this Romulan landscape in the, uh, the holodeck. Um, but his reaction, uh, Jurok, because we will soon find out that his name, his real name is Jurok. Uh, his reaction to the holodeck makes me think either 
he is very homesick for Romulus, or he has never experienced a holodeck. So I don't know if Romulans have holodecks or not, but I feel like he would know about them. But anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, it's the Valley of Chula. And he mm. says, oh, it's lovely. I, I've, I've been here many times. I'm quite familiar with it. Uh, and this is a touching point uh, when he, you know, Data's like, I'm doing something nice for you. And uh, it clearly causes him great pain. And he says, turn it off. I, I no longer live here. Uh, and, or this is no longer my home or something like that. And off he goes. Uh, and I thought that was. And this is where he says, tell Picard that Admiral Jarakwat wishes to speak to him. Uh, and the entire audience is going, what? What? You, you fall off your chair. You run around. How is that possible? And, and the episode picks up, picks up speed here because Admiral Jarak has now realized uh, that, you know, they're not going to believe him unless he gives them a little bit of information. There's a good scene with Picard and Jarak where Picard basically says, I know you don't think you're a traitor, but you're a traitor. So just work with us uh, and give us some information. And so they do. He gives the like, you know, I guess, what does he say? The Riker says he's given them the, the position of the entire fleet, uh, which seems impressive for one person to remember the entire fleet's position. Um, unless maybe they only have like three warbirds or something. I don't know. Well, Admiral Jarak is very impressive. That's, uh, you know, it's just selling how incredibly competent he is to have memorized the entire Romulan fleet. I guess. And plus he's, you know, he's a Romulan. Vulcans have wonderful memories. One assumes Romulans also do. Um, only they're a little more punchy than uh, yeah. Vulcans, their, their, their so. memory is a little bit more spiteful. and mean. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and uh, so he says, okay, you Picard basically says, all right, you've given us a little information. Uh, I feel like even though, you know, I, I, I've intuited from you the kind of person that you are. And I think that we should believe you and take a risk. So we're going into the neutral zone. Uh, and so they go into the neutral zone uh, and um, turns out, oh no, the Romulans have uh, pulled a fast one on poor Admiral Jurok. And uh, while there are strange things happening in Nelvana 3, it is just a probe, or not a probe, like a satellite, a research satellite that has been placed there because um, of uh, archaeology, um, apparently. But more importantly, <gasps> there is a sub-commander, Tomalok. Uh, or no, he's a commander. Uh, sorry. I, commander, I commander, yes. Knocked him down a rank. Uh, no, he deserves it. He deserves it. You want to know why? <laughs> because he came in from Babylon 5. Oh. Um, Andreas Katsoulis, better known to B5 uh, fans as Gakar. Uh, Jakar, uh, however you want to pronounce it. Now I'm mispronouncing people's <laughs> names from Babylon 5. We'll get letters. We'll get oh, letters. No. Um, yeah, but, I've uh, never seen Babylon good. 5, so it's fine. Good old Tom Alonk. I I only just recently started watching it, uh, and huh. uh, because I it it aired so sporadically that I couldn't really keep up with it because it was so heavily serialized. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, it, I had forgotten that that the guy best known uh, to a lot of people as a Babylon Five guy was our recurring Romulan villain during season three. Yes, and I like him. Uh, I like his character. He, I enjoy his zeal at getting uh, the drop on both Picard and Jarok. Uh, and he basically says, "This is my moment of triumph. Uh, we're going to blow up the Enterprise and uh, what display her broken hull on some plaza on Romulus, uh, which was very nice." Uh, and and it's, I love that he's thinking about interior design, not just victory, <laughs> but he's thinking about. Afterward, how are we going to memorialize this incredible, impressive victory of mine? A war trophy. Uh, but a quick scene that we skipped over was Picard saying to Worf, hey, uh, 
call some Klingons and uh, kind of out of blue, out of the blue, and it's not mentioned again. Uh, but it turns out that uh, the Enterprise is outclassed by these two uh, warbirds uh, because they're awesome. Uh, but they also brought along some buddies. So, uh, and is there, there is a scene where Worf is like, now, sir, right? And uh, Picard's like, no, no, give it a moment. Uh, and then, oh, very dramatically, three uh, Klingon birds of prey uh, decloak. Uh, and uh, as Memory Alpha points out, they are wildly out of scale for what they wildly should be. Out of scale. But hey, who's <laughs> keeping track? <laughs> yeah, only nerds on Memory Alpha. That's exactly. Who. Uh, and now the Romulans are. Uh, I think they're not outclassed, but they are now matched. And Picard basically says, "Hey, Tom Locke, you could certainly kill us uh, and kill these Klingons, uh, but you would also die. Do you really want to die?" Uh, and the answer is no, he does not. And so <laughs> he leaves uh, and says, you guys get out of here. And everybody goes back to their side of the border. Uh, and Jarak sadly, uh, writes a letter and then kills himself because he has, he has sacrificed everything for nothing, as I said earlier. And uh, he writes a letter to his, and in like, you know, they're twisting the knife. He writes a letter to his family. Uh, and of course, it cannot be delivered currently, and who knows when it will be delivered. But Captain Picard basically says, eh, "We'll keep it until we can," and that's the end of the episode. And that's it. That's 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 all there is to it. Uh, I, yeah, I I think this is a wonderful uh, episode of TNG, and one of the kinds of things that even if you haven't seen the previous uh, episode involving um, Tomalock, uh, which is referenced, um, it's fine. You don't have to have. You, you yeah, get no. that this is a guy that they've encountered before. It it could have been that they had written that reference in and there wasn't a preceding episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still would have worked just as well. Um, it, it sells it sells the fact that this is a, a continued pointy-eared thorn in their side. And, you know, uh, he's annoying and we hate him. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's all you need to know, really. Uh, and this is this is a good episode. I recommend it as well. You don't need to watch it. Uh, no, you don't need to watch every other episode to get what this episode is. I should say you do need, well, you don't need to watch it. Who am I to tell you what you need to do? Um, but you should watch it if you like it. And the episode yeah. of Deep Space Nine that this reminds me very much of is Duet, which is first season, 19th episode. Uh, a similar kind of situation, uh, although with a very different twist um, and, and fine acting uh, from uh, our, our uh, guest star and one of our main characters in that episode as well. So uh, check that out. If you don't like TNG and you like DS9, and you listen to this episode of Random Trek for some reason. What's wrong with through. you? Uh, you, sh- you should watch Duet and you'll get very much the same kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the, the, the other thing I would throw out about this episode is it's a great standalone episode of TNG that if you have somebody that, that you've been trying to you know give, give a nice little sample, a little taster of what TNG is like, this is a really good episode to just go, here, watch this, and you can get a really solid feel for who all these characters are and you don't have to know everything about all of them and you don't need to have somebody watching it with you whispering in your ear oh that's Worf he's a Klingon and uh, there aren't <laughs> any other Klingons in Starfleet exactly and the if you don't like this episode by the time you you finished it uh, then TNG is probably not for you so <laughs> yeah, and, and we offer <laughs> you a it. refund for this free podcast that, that's right uh, well if you don't like this episode of this podcast chances are you may like the episode that we've spoken about you just don't like this episode for whatever reason and that's fine See, too there you go uh, yeah. but you know keep that opinion to yourself because uh, we don't need harsh vibes here on random yeah. trek we're all groovy man 
<laughs> I don't know what's happening, but I do know that I <laughs> appreciate it. Back in the 60s, man. <laughs> Apparently, I, uh, I fell through uh, a, a quantum disturbance and I have ended up in the 60s. Um, but before I go off to hang out with some hippies and uh, spread peace, love, and happiness, I want to thank you, Moises, for joining me to talk about this episode of Star Trek. Thank you so much for having me. It is a delight uh, to be back, and, and I look forward uh, to my next tour of duty. 